Hey, how about that new girl, uh, Jordan, right? Is that her name? She's not too bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for those of you that weren't here earlier, I forgot her name. Uh, So, and she's the pregnant one. Um, So we've been walking through this, uh, these like children's Bible stories throughout this summer and, and hearing from God, don't get me wrong, we have been hearing from God, but we've been walking through uh, kind of some of the, the top 10 in my eyes, and it's now become 12 um, since I added one and Dinah added another, uh, children's Bible stories, and we've been taking kind of a new spin on them, a new, uh, a new take on them. We've, we've seen what, uh, what the children talk about because, you know, it's fun. It's children's stuff. But then we maybe take it um, to a different place. And today we're going to talk about one of the more... Um, famous stories of scripture, uh, this hugely Hollywood epic story. Has anybody ever been to Universal Studios in Southern California? Anybody ever driven through the Red Sea? Yeah, totally have. I have. You know, they have the Red Sea there. They part the Red Sea. You're on this little thing, you're on this little uh, tour, and you're on a little van and bus, and you're driving around, and then all of a sudden you get to this water, and you're like, oh, no, how are you going to get across? And the tour guide goes, Rah! like this, and the water just pulls back, and you drive through with walls of water on either side. I, I picture it, I mean, almost exactly like that is how it happened to the people of Israel. Just almost exactly like that. So what's the story we're talking about? We're talking about in the book of Exodus, right? We're talking about um, the great escape from, from Egypt into the promised land. Here's what's been going on pr- previously in the life of the people of Israel. They go into uh, to Egypt. Well, you know, let's even backtrack a little bit further. Joseph. Joseph is a brother. Uh, he has many brothers. They don't like him. Um, they throw him in a well, then they're like, no, let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. They take, he's gets taken into Egypt. He goes through this whole crazy story. That's really awesome and wonderful and marvelous. And he becomes the right hand man of Pharaoh. And it becomes a time in the land of all this area where there's a great famine because of, uh, Joseph and his leadership in the land of, uh, of Egypt, they have food. So the people of Israel, his brothers, Come knocking on his door. Hey, Pharaoh man. They don't know who he is. They discover who he is. There's this great hug, wonderful scene, you know, scene, right? Israel comes, come on into our country. It'll be great. We'll take care of you. 400 years later, Joseph is forgotten. His brothers are forgotten. The people of Israel now live as slaves. And they have for hundreds of years. Soon after Joseph dies, the old Pharaoh dies, his brothers dies, that generation goes. The people of Israel are just having babies left and right. And the people of Egypt get a little nervous. Wait, there's too many of these people. We've got to stop this. And so they put them as a class of slaves. From that point on, the people of Israel begin to lose their identity. They begin to forget who they are as the sons and daughters of God. And year after year after year, as they are just oppressed more and more and more into the image that Pharaoh wants them to be, that Egypt wants them to be, they lose the image of who God is calling them to be. And so they find themselves at the time of Moses' birth completely lost. They have no idea who they are. They're just slaves. One point. 
Pharaoh gets a little nervous about the rising population again. And so he begins to have this order that all males who are born to the Israel, uh, Israel tribe are thrown into the river and drowned or killed. Well, Moses is born. Moses' mother says, not my son. And so she puts him in a, a wicker basket and puts him out on the Nile River and he floats away and he gets caught in these brushes. And who should find him but Pharaoh's daughter? And Pharaoh's daughter sees this baby and she reaches out to him. And instead of being Pharaoh's daughter and drowning the baby right there, she says, oh, I'm going to take this daughter and raise this son and raise him as my own. Moses' sister Miriam goes, hey, I know of a Jewish lady who could take care of him for you, Moses' mother. So he gets back into his family and he begins to understand who he is. But then he's raised in the palace of Pharaoh. There comes a time in his life where he commits a murder. He murders an Egyptian and he's on the run. So he runs and he flees into the desert and he lives there for years and years and years. He becomes a shepherd and he gets married and he builds this big flock. And at some point he's walking along and he sees a bush burning as you do. And God says, hey, go back to Egypt and get my people. Let's do this. And Moses goes, but, 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 but God, because he was a stutterer, God says, uh-uh, go. So Moses is like, all right, I got my staff, <laughs> we're going. So he goes into Pharaoh and he has this whole, you know the story, it's this epic story. If you come here um, for our Seder meal, we tell this whole story and we have the plagues and we throw stuff around this room. It's great fun. But he goes in and he, and he does all, he goes into Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. He turns the, the Nile to, to, to blood. He, he brings out all these frogs. He, he has all the flies, the pestilence, the lice. <laughs> he has all these different things that he does that, you know, the, the locusts, you know, he goes through these things. And the last one is the death of the firstborn, right? And the Passover. And, and God tells the people of Israel, sacrifice this lamb, put the blood over the door frame so that when the Holy Spirit comes through, he knows that you're one of my people and so you will be passed over. And after this happens, Pharaoh is going to let you go. And sure enough, when this happens, when Pharaoh's son is killed that night, Pharaoh says, I've had enough. Go, get your people, get out of here. Take everything, everybody around here, just give them everything you can give them to get them to go. And so the entire people of Israel... Millions leave. They tell you the number in the scripture, but it's only counting men. If we count the women and children, a huge number of people just heading throughout, heading from the desert. All right, everybody, here we go. You know, password on that we're moving. And they start going. As soon as they get into the wilderness, they're coming upon the Red Sea. And Pharaoh goes, what have I done? I've let our, I've let our workforce go. This is crazy. Immigration law, this is a horrible immigration law. We need to get them back. And so he sends his entire army after them. Chariots, charioteers, horses, soldiers. They're just coming after them. The people of Israel have no strength. They're not warriors. They're brickmakers. They're tradesmen. They're slaves. And so as they go... They go into the wilderness and they get to the Red Sea. And it's at the Red Sea where they have a little conundrum because they, uh, they've never seen Universal Studios and they don't know what's going to happen. And so they get there 
And the people of Israel are like, they see the people of Egypt, the armies of Egypt coming. And they're like, oh my gosh, Moses, you just led us out here to our death. Way to go. And God's like, hey, or Moses is like, hey, God, I can use a little hand here. So God says, all right, we got this. And he moves as a pillar of fire because it's night and God leads them in the night as a pillar of fire. In the day, he leads them as this big, huge cloud. And it's night, so there's this pillar of fire. And he goes to the back of the tribe of Israel to separate them and the people of Egypt and the army. So he's like, no, 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 we're going to wait a little bit. And he tells Moses, take your staff and raise your arm up. And he does. And the, sea, the wind begins to blow from the east. And, she, and the waters begin to part. And there become these walls of water. And Moses is like, let's go. And he leads the people of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground. It says with walls of water on either side of them. So they go, they're going through. And it's going to take a moment, Right? To get the entire tribe of Israel through the Red Sea. I, I have this blazing saddles picture. Like the, the charioteers are in the back and they, they've constructed a toll booth. And, you know, they can't go through the toll. And it, no blazing saddle fans? Really? Who are you people? They're, they're going through and they're like, you know, just getting through the Red Sea. Getting through, and Moses has probably gotten through. He's like, come on, come on. No, de- no, come on, come on. Get through, get through. But then at some point, God lifts his pillar of fire. And he allows the Egyptians to come and follow. Once they get into the middle of the sea, it says that he makes their chariots and their horses get all crazy. Wheels start falling off. The horses start going in circles. They just kind of get in this like conundrum right there in the middle of the sea. And as soon as the last Jew crosses over, Wham! The waters come back. And there's Egyptians just going everywhere. It says this, chapter 14 is where we are. Verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. As the water stood up like walls on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians. They were filled with awe before him. Understatement. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Talk about an understatement, right? They were filled with awe. Okay, so they've seen all of the different plagues that have come through. They've seen plague after plague after plague after plague. And God protected them from these plagues throughout this thing. Then they come to this sea, and God goes, go ahead. And then he crashes this water upon their oppressors. Now, there's a couple of significant things going on here. One, I recently read an article from um, the National Oceanic, what, NOAA, whatever they are, um, and NOAA. But, and, and so... Uh, I know I can't. I'm so ADD this morning. It's so funny. You should all hear what's going on in my mind. The conversations that are happening are really great comedy um, for me. Anyway, my wife is 
being killed right now. So, uh, so they, they, they go, this, I, this guy who's an oceanographer says that the Red Sea has great tidal shifts, huge tidal shifts. And, and w- there are certain times when uh, the moon is just right and the wind is blowing correctly that it would create such a tidal shift that you can walk on this ground. My brother-in-law is from Seattle. And up in the sound, um, they have a lot of tidal shifts. And he goes clam digging out there a lot of times when the, the, the tide is out. When the tide is out, you can walk or even drive on it for a good distance to get out. But when that tide's in, you don't want to be out there, right? Because it's going to drown you. There are times, there was a place um, in France that I stayed when I was a fifth grade teacher. I was over there and, and we went out to this place in the same deal. Uh, there's like an island that's accessible by car certain times of day uh, because the tide is out and you can drive. Other times of day, it's not. You have to get there by boat. Really cool stuff. The world works in this way. God set up these tidal shifts and these things in this way. Now, this oceanographer said, his proposition was that because Moses had lived in this area, because Moses had run off to the desert and spent all the time in this area, he knew about the Red Sea and its swing of tidal shifts. The people of Egypt didn't because the Nile doesn't operate this way. The Nile doesn't have, the Nile floods, but it doesn't go down to where it's nothing. And so they weren't aware that this kind of stuff could happen. But he says that Moses knew and Moses waited for the right time. Okay, you want to just, you want to like scientifically say that this, it wasn't really a miracle, it was just a tidal swing. All right, but what about the pillar of fire that stood in between the two groups to keep them from attacking? I don't want to focus on the separation of the sea as much as I do want to focus on the going through the sea. For the people of Israel, there's this process, and we've talked about it here in here multiple times, called mikvah. Say mikvah. And a mikvah is this spiritual cleansing. The Essenes... In, uh, in Qumran, were very, very, very particular about their mikvah or mikvuot. In fact, there were, there's many of them throughout. And for a mikvah, it's, a lot of times it's a, it's a big thing. It's almost like, a, I'd call them like hot tubs in stone that you like walk down in, you know. And, but most of them will have two staircases, one going in and one coming back out. And the thought is that you're not going in there to, like, wash clean or whatever. The thought is, is that as you go in, you are coming out differently. Because what you do this mikvah process for is to prepare yourself for the presence of God. You are doing something to get ready to be in the presence of God. For the people of the Essenes of Qumran, when they would write, this is where the Dead Sea Scrolls come from, and as they would write and transcribe these scrolls, they would, there's three guys that would do this process. And before they would start, they would go and do mikvah. Because they were going to be in the presence of God. The word of God is the presence of God. And so they would go, they would do mikvah, they would come, and they would begin to transcribe what they would see. And they would do it letter by letter. It's a very laborious task. When they would get to the name of God, they would stop. They would go do mikvah. They would come back. They would write the first letter of the name of God. They would agree that it was correct. They would go. They would do mikvah again. They would come back, write the next letter of the name of God, and so on. Mikvah was a very important process. 
as slaves in Egypt, the people of Israel, with the exception of probably the Levites, did not have access to mikvah. They'd lost their traditions. They'd lost their faith. They didn't know who they were. When God is bringing them through the Red Sea, I believe that it's one gigantic mikvah. That what God is doing is saying, you're entering this side of the mikvah as slaves. But just like any mikvah, when you are preparing to get in the presence of God, you go in one way and you are coming out a different way. When they are going into the Red Sea, they are going in as slaves. But when they're coming out, they're coming out as sons and daughters. It is a hugely significant movement and change in the life of the people of Israel. Now, they don't get it right then. Because if you remember, it's not three days later that they show up at this well and they're like, Oh, great, you brought us out to the desert. The water's bad. We're going to die. Thanks, Moses. At least back in Egypt, we had beer. They do say that some places. But it was at this place, this moment in their lives that a significant change happened. Now, they noticed it because they sing songs. Moses leads them in song. Marion breaks out her tambourine and leads all the ladies in singing songs. Praise the Lord. He's thrown the horse and chariot into the water. You know, it's a great uplifting song. But they don't own it. It takes... Years to get the slave out of them. Now for us, as Jordan was just saying up here, we all go through these moments of transition in our lives. Thankfully, none of us live as slaves. But many of us are oppressed. And many times the oppression comes from ourselves. Many times we are oppressed by whatever it is in our lives. And we need to understand that there is a transition that can happen to take us from that oppression into freedom. To take us from being a slave into being a daughter, a son. There are those moments in our lives where we need to find the strength to walk into the Red Sea. Because let's think about the people of Israel. Now, if the oceanographer is right and Moses knew what he was doing and he knew the title changes and everything and he had a calendar, you know, he had his calendar out, his, his uh, Ben Franklin's almanac, you know, and he's like, oh, it's going to go. Let's do this. Okay. But the rest of the people behind him, they didn't have that knowledge. They hadn't been out there. They had lived for hundreds of years in Egypt. What they knew was the Nile. They had the same knowledge that the Egyptians who followed them had. Can you imagine what it would be like to show up to this huge sea during the day and you see this vast water? And then that night, your leader says, all right, everybody, looks pretty dry. Let's go. What? It took faith. For them to walk through that sea. 
fear was probably driving that a little bit. Desperation was probably driving that a little bit. The longing to be free was so huge in their lives that they were willing to take that great risk. How many of you are standing at the edge of a sea today? And you're oppressed. You're depressed. You're suffering from an addiction. You have a great transition in your life. Your relationship isn't going the way that you think it should. You don't have a relationship. Your family life isn't where it should be. Whatever it is, you're standing before this sea and you know that a transition is coming. And you know that in order for this transition to happen, you have to make some scary steps. You've got to walk through walls of water. How many of us find ourselves in that moment and we'd rather stay in Egypt? Because we know Egypt. It may not be fun. It may be painful. It may be sad and depressing. But we know it. There's this book by C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, called The Great Divorce. If you know the story, it's the story of a, a field trip from hell into heaven. That a bunch of ghosts who are residing in hell, get this opportunity to get on a bus and they go into heaven and they get to see what heaven is like. But heaven for them is painful because they're not ready for it yet. Because there's something in their life that they're holding on to, be it pride. There's this one, uh, one ghost who loves her son and she wants to see her son. And she gets up there, she's like, where's my son? Why isn't my son here to greet me? Why isn't he here? I want to see my son. And it's her brother who is her guide through heaven. And he says, because you've made your son your God, you're not ready to see him yet. You don't love him in a healthy way. If you really had your, your opportunity to be with him, you wouldn't mind being with him in hell just so that he would be with you. You would pull him from heaven to hell. See, she had this unhealthy oppression in her life that her son was everything and not who God should be. There's this one guy who walks through and he has this lizard on his shoulder. And this lizard on his shoulder keeps whispering things to him. And every time he does, the guy just cringes up and he just can't, can't stand it. And you can tell that there's just this agony there. And this angel of fire comes up to him and he says, tell that thing to be quiet. And he's like, I can't. He goes, well, do you want me to kill it? He goes, yes. So the angel reaches out his hand of fire and he begins to do it and it's painful and it hurts this guy. And he's like, ah, stop. And the little lizard's like, don't let him do it. You'll be nothing without me. You've lived with me forever. It takes a long time for this guy to be convinced that the pain that he's going to suffer as this, this thing is taken away from him will be worth it. Because he'll get to experience freedom. How many of us stand at the Red Sea and we're scared to walk through? 
The worship team's coming up right now, and we'll ask the prayer team to go over to the ministry wall. How many, however many of you are here right now. Um, I'll go over there as well. And if this is a day, this is a moment where you feel like you're in a transition, a transition where you're standing at the Red Sea and you need to start walking through because there's oppression in your life, there's things that are holding you down, things that you know you need to release to God, but you just haven't found the strength to do it yet because walking through the sea is scary, come pray with us. Come pray with us. Let the Holy Spirit reach out his fiery hand and burn that sucker off. Because life in Egypt, while it might be comfortable because it's known, is not where we are called to live. We are called to live on the other side of the Red Sea, in the promised land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the fact that you have made us sons and daughters, that you have called us your sons and daughters. We thank you, Father, that you have given us life. Like any good father, your desire for us is not that we live in oppression, not that we live in addiction or depression or sickness. Your desire is that we live in freedom and the full understanding that we are your children. Help us, Lord, to have the strength to walk through that sea, as scary as it might be, to step away.